The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. I'm Gerald McFadden, President of Volunteers of America Southwest, and I bring you greetings from San Diego, California. I'll be your host for the next hour, and I'm delighted to have joining me today Ms. Susan Bauer, Deputy Director with the San Diego County Department of Health and Human Services, Ms. Karen Dale, um, Market President with America Health, District of Columbia, Mr. Jim LeBlanc, President and CEO of Volunteers of America of Greater New Orleans, and Mr. Tom Bierbaum, President and CEO of Volunteers of America of Massachusetts. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Leadership Matters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get started uh, with the topic for today's show, which is the dynamic transformation of the nonprofit landscape, uh, I'd like to ask each of you if you would just share a, a little bit with our listening audience about yourself and the organization you're affiliated with. And Ms. Bauer, I'd like to kind of start off with you if that's okay. Certainly. Um, my name is Susan Bauer, and as Gerald mentioned, I'm with the County of San Diego's Health and Human Services Agency. We are an integrated um, health services agency along with human services, meaning that we bring together public health, child welfare, eligibility, benefits, behavioral health, and all of the related disciplines under one roof. Um, I've been with the county's Health and Human Services Agency for nearly 20 years and have worked for many of those years in our behavioral health department, um, primarily in the alcohol and drug world, but also as we integrated with mental health over the past few years. Fantastic, fantastic. Ms. Dale, could you share sure. a little bit about yourself? Karen Dale, I'm the market president for AmeriHealth Caritas, District of Columbia. We're part of a family of companies that includes a pharmacy benefit management company, a behavioral health company, and um, a, med- a Medicare line of business. In the district, we serve over 100,000 members, and our mission is really to help people to be well. And we are in the midst of a transformation to really Uh, change our approaches to innovate so that we are delivering or facilitating the delivery of better care and better outcomes at a predictable cost. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Mr. Beerbaum. Yes, I'm uh, the President and CEO here of uh, Volunteers America in Massachusetts. Uh, I've been in the uh, social service arena for 40 years and uh, the past 32 years, I've served as the CEO here. Uh, our organization is focused on addictions as well. Um, 
we've created a behavioral health component to our services over the last 15 to 20 years and also branched out into uh, assisted living and dementia care over that same time period. Fantastic. And Mr. LeBlanc. Thank you, Gerald. Uh, My name is Jim LeBlanc, and I am the president and chief executive officer for Volunteers of America Greater New Orleans. We we cover a 16, uh, what you guys would call uh, counties, we parishes down here in South Louisiana. Um, we tend, I've been with Volunteers of America for 32 years and been the, the CEO here in, in New Orleans uh, for about 22 of those years. Uh, here in New Orleans or greater New Orleans, we do tend to provide a wide spectrum of services from working with uh, with infants that we place into adoptive homes to after-school services for kids, mentoring programs for, for young adults, um, working with identified populations, people with intellectual disabilities, people struggling with uh, addictive disorders. Um, we also provide a m- number of services for veterans and all the way down to the other end of the age spectrum, uh, elderly uh, clients. And since... Um, since Katrina, we have um, we've really started to go in, in some new directions, particularly as it relates to housing and, and affordable housing uh, for folks down here in South Louisiana. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, I invite each of you in our listening audience to join in our conversation today by either emailing your questions to us at leadershipmattersquestions.com at innovisions.org or by calling 1-866-472-5790. I'd like to begin our dialogue today with really examining how has or will health care reform under the Affordable Care Act impact the nonprofit sector as it relates to service delivery, performance accountability, infrastructure, and financial sustainability. And what I'd like to do is start off with you, Ms. Bauer, from your perspective as a a county entity, what are some of the issues that you see as it relates to health care reform and its impact on the nonprofit sector? Well, I think first and foremost from the service delivery aspect is there are more people that are eligible for services that are reimbursable under Medi-Cal. So that presents an opportunity to nonprofit programs to develop business streams where they can draw down those Medi-Cal dollars and revenue to support services to provide provide integrated services to those that need them. Um, But along with that comes a real need for nonprofits to focus on the business angle of it and develop their, as you said, the infrastructure, really developing those administrative controls and processes so that they are providing the adequate documentation, they're able to survive audits, um, and that they have the data capacity to really document their outcomes. Okay. Um, Mr. Beerbaum, uh, what, what are some of your thoughts in regards to uh, the impact that healthcare reform is having on the, the nonprofit sector as it relates to the, the four areas we talked about, service delivery, performance accountability, infrastructure, and financial sustainability? Well, I think 
Massachusetts has has uh, been a pioneer in this area. Uh, we're now, I believe, nine years into uh, universal health care in the state. And for a, a large period of that time, uh, the focus was on enrollment, getting everybody uh, under the coverage. Uh, we've been at somewhere between 96 and 98% covered now for quite some time. And uh, it really creates some interesting dynamics in the market uh, once you have that much uh, uh, customer base uh, secured. Uh, it's it's been encouraging to me to see the state of Massachusetts take that step and through one of the worst recessions that has ever hit the country, uh, be able to maintain their budget and to be able to carry that burden through uh, an economic recession and still uh, uh, have a very solid uh, bond rating for the state and be able to come out the other end of that and now begin to focus more heavily on how do we begin uh, ratcheting down costs. Uh, it's certainly going to take a lot of infrastructure. Uh, it does take a, uh, a, a, a strong culture oriented to business and outcome. But at the same time, I think uh, great opportunities with organizations like Volunteers of America who has served, uh, difficult to serve clients for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I think we have a cultural competency that a lot of other organizations will find they're lacking. That opens up great opportunities for collaboration and partnering. And and I'm going to be interested to see how the data plays out now that we're all kind of on the same uh, playing field that, uh, you know, I think uh, for-profit organizations have really had the upper hand when it comes to marketing. But it'll be interesting to see as, as a research approach is applied to that data, really uh, who's producing the outcome at what cost. Interesting, very interesting. Mr. Dale, you are a part of a for-profit uh, healthcare uh, provider service system. Uh, what are some of your thoughts as it relates to how you see healthcare reform and its impact on the nonprofit sector as it relates to service delivery, performance accountability, uh, and, and, and infrastructure? I, I see a lot of opportunity. There's the opportunity for collaboration, partnership, and growth in terms of many of the things that have already been mentioned being becoming strengths of the nonprofit organizations. Uh, definitely there's going to be more competition. So there are people moving into the business of health and health for vulnerable populations that weren't there before. So it means that we not only as not-for-profits have to learn, but be good at it, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. it was mentioned already about the metric-driven piece. Part of what I see sometimes as a challenge with the not-for-profit entities is they do good work and have done good work for a long time. But when it comes to responding to a bid, for example, having the data that supports the work that's been done and translating that into what is the true cost of that service and negotiating in terms of what are the flexible models or are you taking risk or do you have a way of identifying those things you do well that would fit well into a pay-for-value equation, that there's not as much um, knowledge and ability to function in that space. So there's an opportunity to really learn and exercise those skills because 
doing things in a way that does not allow for sustainable finances is going to be a problem if we move into doing this and, and not, um, not have all the skills. Fantastic. Mr. LeBlanc, uh, your, your thoughts in this area? Yeah, I uh, got to that was a lot of great responses there, and, and, I, and I, I agree with so much of that. Um, and, and I think um, much of what will be coming out of this um, Affordable Care Act for all of us is opportunity. But I, I do think that while we as nonprofits and certainly Volunteers of America specifically, we've been able to, to, to do the jobs that we've been hired to do up to this point, I really do think we need to look at our business model and, and find ways that we either need to um, revise it or update it because I think Karen makes a good point about um, uh, how do we translate what we do into proposals and pricing and whatnot. And I think that's, that's some really, really new uh, territory for a lot of us nonprofits. But I think in order to really jump on those uh, opportunities, we really need to be able to respond quickly about making those kinds of changes in the way we do business. Mm-hmm. Very good. You know, two terms that uh, seem to be at the core of the health care reform conversation are integrated health care services and, and managed care. Uh, what is it that is really meant by these two, these two terms, and why are these concepts important as it relates to effective service delivery? Uh, and maybe I'll, I'll start off with you, Ms. Dale, on this, if that's okay. Absolutely. So in terms of managed care, I mean, it's been around for a long time. Um, where we are now is, is doing more around population health. And with the Affordable Care Act and this larger population needing to be served, there, there's this wave of transformation, innovation, retooling so that our efforts match what the population needs that we are more effectively managing care. So that looks like, for example, if you have a 1,000 persons with diabetes, knowing that their hemoglobin A1C is within an appropriate range. And that's not something necessary that a managed care organization can do on its own, but it could do that through a relationship with that person's primary care provider or their specialist or a community-based organization that offers classes that educate the person about their diabetes and its management and helps them with how to cook differently, and they may have someone who can go with them grocery shopping a few times. So now we're talking about a delivery system that supports that person in terms of being healthy. So the Generation 1.0 of managed care is really shifting into being more than just you know, paying claims and developing provider networks, but being part of a larger delivery system and putting matching payments and incentives in place so that delivery system can sustain itself financially. So not just asking people to do more, but saying if you achieve superior outcomes, if those thousand persons with diabetes are now managed so they're not going to the emergency room as much, they're not getting admitted or readmitted to the hospital, those... Mm -hmm avoidances, right, create savings which we can share with the providers or the other persons involved in the delivery system. 
Fantastic. I want to explore this just a little bit more, uh, but it's going to uh, be time for us to take a, a brief break. And when we return, our guests will talk with us a little bit more about how the, the Health Care Reform Act is impacting the nonprofit sector. And we'll start to talk a little bit more detailedly about really what are some expectations and opportunities that are available as a result of the Health Care Reform Act. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, and Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, our world is faced with complex challenges that present massive potential risks. Conflict, misunderstanding, misalignment of organizations and their leadership, lost productivity, wasted time, and wasted resources resulting from limiting perspectives, distraction, and hardline positions are damaging our today and our future. The monetary cost of such failures is in the billions. Stop wasting time. Make a shift. Engage with host David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration, Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. Uh, I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you greetings from Volunteers of America in San Diego, California. My special guests today uh, are Ms. Susan Bauer, Deputy Director with the San Diego County Department of uh, Health and Human Services, Ms. Karen Dale, Market President with AmeriHealth and District of Columbia, Mr. James LeBlanc, President and CEO of Volunteers of America Greater New Orleans, and Mr. Tom Bierbaum, President and CEO of Volunteers of America Massachusetts. Before the break, uh, we were talking about the issue of integrated health care services and the need for building a more effective uh, and comprehensive system of service to impact 
outcomes. Um, Susan, I'd like to ask you, uh, from the perspective of the County of San Diego as a health and human services organization, how are you seeing uh, initiatives move forward to support this concept of integrated health care services, and how are you working with nonprofits to move these initiatives forward? So I think right now we're on the edge of a really exciting time. Um, currently, my role is overseeing integrated services for the Health and Human Services Agency, so I'm kind of all about integration. Um, and, and what does that really mean? That really means at least in my mind, that we're working with individuals and families and communities where services are all available. We're focusing on the entire person and all of their needs. We're not, we're not stuck in a system where somebody has to tell their story over and over and over again to get all the services they need to deal with the things that they have to address in their lives. So if we have, for example, someone who is dealing with addiction and is a diabetic um, and is trying to deal with both of those issues, they don't have to go to two separate places, deal with those separate issues separately and different health records Data is shared across systems so that they can coordinate care and they can actually get the services rather than spending all of their time trying to negotiate systems. Um, and we're looking at the entire, the entire person and communicating across systems in an effective manner to get to those outcomes that are driving care. And likewise as well that we are all working together in a collective impact model. So if that person that we're talking about is also dealing with a housing crisis, that we're working to get them into a permanent housing situation so that they can achieve their health outcomes. Mm-hmm. So really looking at this issue of really shared responsibility for optimum outcome results uh, through partnerships and collaborations. Um, uh, Mr. Bierbaum, in terms of some of the work that you are doing in Massachusetts and as a nonprofit organization, what does this issue of integrated service, uh, service delivery systems, what does it mean for you? Has it resulted in any changes in the way in which you are looking at providing services or strategies and partnerships that you're building that are new in order to be able to accommodate kind of an integrated approach to care? Uh, from our perspective here, I mean, we've seen a lot of focus on uh, what hospitals are doing and and how hospitals are coping with the change and <clears throat> adapting to the new environment. And a lot of the focus has been on primary care and health issues. It's been only recent uh, that uh, with the uh, mental health parity law coming into play that there's more and more emphasis on uh, the behavioral health side, mental health services, addiction services. And uh, so organizations are beginning to get introduced to one another. Uh, I think there's uh, a growing understanding of what a community-based organization is doing as opposed to a hospital-based organization. Uh, uh, community-based health care working with uh, organizations that do street outreach and, and that type of thing. That Introduction and that understanding always begins with, you know, what's your data system? And if you don't have one, it's hard to start a conversation. You can talk and you can have a conversation, but there's a suspicion that you won't be able to communicate in the system. 
mm-hmm. communication is going to be very dependent on the data and how well your data system is integrated with everyone else. So, for example, our outpatient clinic just went live on electronic health record at the beginning of this month. And not a moment too soon because the state mandated that as of October 1st, everybody had to be on an electronic health record. And it's been really fascinating to see how that begins adapting your culture, how it um, it really does get down to very concrete evidence-based practice. Uh, I think the amount of medical error that's going to be eliminated, I think, is going to be phenomenal. Uh, I think there's going to be less potential for over-prescribing and prescribing that sometimes can lead to addictive behaviors. And uh, But in order to, to ramp up for that, uh, again, I think it requires uh, a different type of culture, a different type of mindset. There's got to be resources added, brought to the plate. And I think most of all, uh, for the nonprofit side of the equation, there has to be uh, a greater sense of, of risk and how you manage that risk and, and the willing to take, uh, take it on. Um, and I think as that evolves and as these conversations take place, I think there are going to be some pretty exciting partnerships that will be created. Great. Mr. LeBlanc, in regards to uh, the issue of integrated healthcare services and the way in which uh, activity is moving in the landscape toward a actually a requirement for more integrated healthcare service mm-hmm. approaches, what uh, is it that your organization is doing to either um, move in this direction and what types of activities or impacts has it had on your organization? Yeah, a couple of things. I was intrigued when Susan talked about uh, the uh, integrated healthcare uh, focusing on the entire person. and I, uh, I really think that affords uh, a lot of opportunities for many of us nonprofits because we do so many critical but sometimes seen as peripheral activities in the, in the healthcare system. So I think that really does does help in a big way. And one of the things we've been engaged in, Gerald, uh, down here in New Orleans, is um, we really were, were a big, uh, a major player in helping to bring a veterans' homelessness uh, to a, basically a virtual zero by the end of 2014. And Volunteers of America was really a, a major part of that. And and we realized, like. So many people do know is we just need to get people first into housing, and then it makes it a little bit easier for them to concentrate on uh, other healthcare needs that they have. So we've been working in that kind of peripheral part to 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 make people to address that whole person in ways that we can address it, and it's been a really good fit and opportunity for us. Uh huh. You know, a, a lot of what we um, have been talking about as we have put our arms around this integrated healthcare services concept really uh, focuses on really opportunity and partnerships with healthcare providing organizations and nonprofits, and really, as as Mr. Bibbon was saying, a conversation being created. 
uh, one of the things that is important is once the conversation is created, you know, do we talk the same language? Do we do things the same way? And so I'm going to ask you, Ms. Dale, as a for-profit um, organization looking possibly at building partnerships with not-for-profits to, to extend your continuum of integrated healthcare services, what are some of the, the, um, uh, the, the issues or the lenses through which you're looking at how you would work or what a nonprofit organization needs to look like in order to partner with you as a for-profit concern? Sure. So I, I will um, push back a little bit on the distinction between a not-for-profit or a for-profit because from where I sit, what I need to be able to do is produce better health outcomes for the population served and at, do it at a predictable cost, right? So uh, whether you're for-profit or not-for-profit, the expectations are the same. So some of this has been mentioned before, but my top ones are data and data management. You have to have the appropriate systems to document whatever services are delivered, to share the information regarding what services are delivered, and to compile it in a way that says, are the health outcomes for the population improving? So that would be all in that bucket. The second thing is around nimbleness and flexibility, that I can't fit into this is how you've always done it, you need to figure out how do we meet in the middle. I may need to change some, and I'm happy to do that, but sometimes the conversations become, well, this is what we do, and this is what we want you to buy, and I'm going, well, I don't want to buy that. That doesn't help me with the outcomes I need to achieve. So it's being creative and innovative and not just holding on to what's been done, but saying, let me understand where you are. So if your key issues are persons with diabetes who kept keep getting readmitted or people with cardiac conditions that keep getting readmitted. Now think about what it is you provide through a, through a lens of how do, does the, the value I add help to change that outcome or potentially change it. I'm always open to piloting things too, not necessarily always going into it saying it must work, but let's use what you do well and see how that might translate into changing health outcomes. Um, the last thing I will say is that I can't figure out for the other entity, like, how you're going to make money for it. So, like, some sophistication has to already be there about the process of knowing your cost. What happens sometimes is we will agree to something, and we are less than six months into the contract, and people want to renegotiate. And I'm going, well, I don't feel like I have enough data when you think about claims run out or, you know, the ability to actually produce a different outcome in that short a period of time that I'm going to be willing to renegotiate. So there needs to be enough understanding of your costs going into the negotiation so that, you know, there's, you can go for some time before needing to revisit the cost structure for an arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ms. Bauer, looking at the... Uh, county uh, government system as a as a funder and as someone who has historically issued grants to uh, not for profit service organization for service delivery. Do you see the the funding 
pattern changing in terms of the relationship between government funding entities and what they will or will not uh, be reimbursing for in the in the future? Do you see that changing? Yeah, I do. Um, I think over time we are going to move more and more to uh, purchasing based on outcomes um, and doing more incentive-based purchasing where, you know, you are reimbursed based on the outcomes that you achieve as opposed to organizations who traditionally have been reimbursed for their costs. Um, which drives we, back this is a very, to what we've all I been talking very about. Part of the discussion in terms of new expectations, but we're going to need to take a, a, a brief break. And what I'm going to ask you to do, Ms. Ms. Mauer, is just hold on to that thought. And uh, when we return, we will build on it. Uh, when we return, uh, we will be talking not only about really the expectations around not for profits as it goes into the healthcare reform arena, but we will also be talking about rethinking partnership relationships. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you greetings from Volunteers of America in San Diego. And for those of you who may have just joined us, our special guests today are Ms. Susan Bauer, Deputy Director with 
Health and Human Services Department in San Diego, California, Ms. Karen Dale, Market President with AmeriHealth in the District of Columbia, Mr. Jim LeBlanc, President and CEO, Volunteers of America of Greater New Orleans, and Mr. Tom Beerbaum, President and CEO from Volunteers of America, Massachusetts. Prior to the break, we were talking about the, the issue of possibly a, a shift in funding patterns that government will have with not-for-profit service organizations. And, Mr. Bauer, you were talking a little bit about that. Would you build on that, that point that you were discussing before the break? Certainly. Um, traditionally, we have reimbursed many services based on cost reimbursement, where providers mm-hmm. are reimbursed for the costs that they incur. And, oh, by the way, you have to achieve some outcomes. Um, I really see things, the landscape changing dramatically so that services are more reimbursed with a focus on achievement of outcomes um, and milestones within projects. So, for example, Project A has an agreed-upon outcome structure where they need to achieve XYZ outcomes in order to receive full reimbursement and be able to draw down their entire contract, whereas provider organization B that isn't able to achieve those outcomes are not going to be able to maximize their contract for, for funding. Um, and I, I really think that's kind of where things are moving in terms of um, government and other entities reimbursing for services um, it, as we've said over and over throughout the show, it's all about the data and the outcomes right now. We have to be effective with the resources that we have. Right, right. You know, it seems like a recurring part of the conversation centers on really uh, having the necessary um, IT systems uh, for data exchange, having the necessary data analytics on population health so that we're able to share that across uh, our service partners uh, and financial uh, infrastructure so that uh, partners will be able to do some risk sharing as it relates to um, servicing the population. Uh, in looking at the the issue from both a the, what the for profit community is looking at and also what government is looking at in terms of really how they will reimburse and partner in the future, uh, looking at it from a not for profit perspective, how do you see, uh, Mr. LeBlanc, really this whole issue of financial risk sharing? Uh, and necessarily having the infrastructure that's going to be required to talk and do business with some of the partners of the future. Gerald, I, I think this is one of the most exciting developments for our nonprofit world because I think those of us that do good work and can obviously have the data to support that, I think we're going to thrive and I think we're going to do very well. And um, and I also think, and, and, and we have, down in my neck of the woods, we have a lot of not-for-profits doing work um, that, frankly, is not terribly effective, in my opinion. And they're going to mm-hmm. fall by the wayside. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. just the way of the world. That's We're in a business, and that's the business world. So I think for those of us who have the competency and the capability, I think it's an exciting development. Now, I say that knowing that 
I, my organization still has a good ways to go with being able to um, make sure that that data is, is where it needs to be and that our, our cost analysis of our actual cost is, is, is clearly thought out. But I think it is, we're, we're working on that right now, but I think that this is a very exciting development and another great opportunity for those uh, not-for-profits who have that capability. Yeah. Mr. Beerbaum, in terms of looking at these issues and how it might impact your organization um, and its readiness to uh, interface with a, a new type of partnering relationship, uh, how do you see this impacting your organization or other not-for-profit organizations? <clears throat> well, I think there's been a lot of reference here to partnering and, and collaboration, and for good reason. The, the problems that we encounter working with the populations that we're seeing at this point, and particularly if we're going to break the, the health care cost uh, paradigm, uh, there really needs to be a method to get to the, to the most costly uh, problems that are out there. Uh, a small percentage of, of um, uh, enrollees are driving a very large percentage of that health care cost. But these are very complicated situations, and I think in the nonprofit arena, we've been familiar with the collaborative coalition partnering um, uh, methodology for a long time simply because it's very hard to handle all dimensions of these very complex individuals. I think as organizations look around for partners, I think it's important to think about the ethical and aspirational goals of a potential partner. And that's the common ground you can come together in partnering. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the core competency of the various partners, it's good that they're complementary and not necessarily overlapping. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. in the assisted living effort that we've been involved in for 20 years, we have a very strong for-profit proprietary organization who we, we partner with in the management of those uh, facilities. Our role is more the government interface, the community uh, politics, the uh, the development, the uh, public-private uh, financing of these facilities. We've been very successful in handling that end of it. Our for-profit partner has been very successful in the high-level marketing and uh, the uh, control of behavioral health within those facilities, and it's been a very effective partnership. Uh, in terms of the profile and the image of that partnership in the community, we have the luxury of a for-profit organization marketing for a nonprofit organization. So it has the emblematic effect of a nonprofit uh, basically owning the health care delivery. And that, that resonates very loudly mm-hmm. within communities and within these markets working with those senior populations. So I think uh, it's it's uh, important to understand how you're selecting the partners and and what the various roles and responsibilities will be. And uh, uh, we've had that experience in working with both nonprofit partners but also with for-profit partners. In the assisted living arena, most of our competition is for-profit competition. And it's very helpful to have that other perspective and be able to blend that perspective as we govern those facilities. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that I was looking back over some material and I came back to an article that was published by a Harvard Business Review and it was the 
1996 article that talked about the new landscape for nonprofits. And what mm-hmm. it talked about at that point in time was really the, the fear of not uh, for-profits coming into the space occupied historically by not-for-profits. Today, you know, are we looking at, is it, is it time for nonprofits to, to rethink and reinvent their partnerships and collaborations with for-profit organizations or, or other non-for-profit organizations in order to be able to compete effectively? Can non-for-profits basically do this work on their uh, individually as we go forward in this integrated concept of care? Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that, Mr. LeBlanc? Well, I think everything needs to be up on the table. You know, um, we, uh, I was just thinking of a couple of examples with us where um, we, you know, the for-profits have come into the arenas that we work in actually across the country. Like in, we do a lot of services in corrections and we've seen for-profit entities um, come in and be very competitive. We also here in New Orleans have decided that um, there's a gap in service that that falls outside of our traditional low-income housing development, and that's folks that are basically making 80% to 120% of AMI. So we're going a little bit opposite of that. We, as a nonprofit, are creating our own for-profit housing development corporation. Uh We've created that in order to be able to address the folks that, that fall 80 to 120. Now, it's not necessarily the traditional uh consumer of our services, but it is people that are, frankly, working poor in many cases who can't afford the the huge cost of, of rental housing. So we feel like there's an opportunity for that for us to go in there. And of course, we created the for-profit just so that we, we didn't want to get sideways with the IRS and our 501c3. So we said, let's just go the other way. And, and we're not trying to necessarily compete with the for-profits, but we're going after a market niche we think that is not being addressed. And it required us to go into that a for-profit entity. Uh, Ms. Dale, in relationship to your organization, uh, looking at the opportunity to partner and in some cases develop uh, and nurture uh, not-for-profit talent to leverage the the reach and impact of your service organization, do do you see the the for-profit side rethinking how it will work effectively with not-for-profits as we navigate through this health care reform and integrated uh, services uh, service delivery model? Yes, it's high time we rethink our approach and several of the things that have been said resonate, right? So one is I don't have to be the one doing the work. If there's someone that can do it better, faster, cheaper, I think they should, we should let them have that opportunity and measure and reimburse them in a way that promotes value. Um, so I'm always looking for that partner that is able to do something that, hmm, I didn't realize they could do and to have that conversation about how do we partner, what role do you have, what role do I have, and you know, can we see that pathway to adding value? Um, the other thing is that I, um, I think that not-for-profits, I like where Jim was going in terms of, so he went the other way and created another structure. What 
not-for-profits often bring to the table is experience, experience with a population that others don't have. And that, that has a lot of value. If that experience can be, you know, you, you, you mentioned earlier something about are we speaking the same language. Um, if not-for-profits could package <laughs> the language of what they do a little differently, it would be more easily understood, you know, so if, so a lot of what not-for-profits are doing are really doing population health and addressing social determinants for at-risk populations, right? And right. if you had the claim data to match up, which you're, you can ask uh, a managed care company to provide, it doesn't have to have the, the member information, so there's no HIPAA being shared, but as you're working to do a contract or a project, you can say, so tell me what your costs are for that person who gets admitted and readmitted, or your average cost over at least a three-year period, so you address <coughs> seasonality and some fluctuations, right? And then, and then you package what you do well to match up to how you will save money. The right. states with affordable right. care expansion, even those states that didn't expand based on Affordable Care Act, have put in place other programs because the need is there. So they're are the not-for-profits with all this experience about wraparound services. We know that social determinants mm-hmm. are the bigger driver of health costs, right? So that's really all of the things that, at least I can speak to Volunteers of America, does well are so important to this integrated delivery system. So we just have to figure out how to get on the same page and create actionable approaches that we can measure and, again, determine that the cost is going to be Reduced, avoided, predictable. Very good. We're going to need to take a very brief break, and I would encourage all of our listeners to stay with us. Uh, Our guests are really exploring some very significant issues for um, impact uh, in terms of creating a more effective service delivery system. Uh, I ask you to stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, and Inspiring Solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264 or send an email to dr white her email address is dr white at innovisions.org innovisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house association of san diego california funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission developing children families and future leaders of our communities through empowerment education and wellness Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. 
Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back with more on Leadership Matters. Uh, I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you greetings from Volunteers of America in San Diego. For those of you who have uh, just joined us, I must say that you uh, have missed out on a very dynamic dialogue, and I think as we go through the the latter segment of this program, you would be enriched significantly by staying tuned or asking questions of our guest. Our guests today are Ms. Susan Bob. Our Deputy Director at San Diego County Department of Health and Human Services, Ms. Karen Dale, Market President with AmeriHealth in the District of Columbia, Mr. Jim LeBlanc, President and CEO of Volunteers of America of Greater New Orleans, and Mr. Tom Bierbaum, President and CEO of Volunteers of America, Massachusetts. Uh, in, and throughout our segment today, we have talked a lot about the opportunities, the new opportunities that basically um, will be created and afforded to the not-for-profit sector, sector as it relates to health care reform. What I'd like to do is maybe narrow and get more specific in, in terms of our listening audience. So what, what do we see as some of the new opportunities that may be created as it relates to health care reform? And Mr. Beerbaum, I'd like to ask you what, if you would lead off with uh, your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I think <clears throat> the... the uh, the social service sector has come a long way from uh, running addiction programs where uh, uh, people in recovery would gather in a smoke-filled room uh, where you'd have to sit very close to the floor to get any oxygen and consume uh, copious amounts of coffee and caffeine. Uh, the integrated health care model really uh, forces uh, those of us in, in the social service arena to consider the legitimate health care concerns of, of clients and not just thinking about recovery, housing, and jobs. So the real beneficiary of that are the people that we serve. I think the effectiveness of that service and that access to high-quality health care is going to be uh, tremendous in organizations that have a mission-based philosophy. And I think the opportunity to see that mission fulfilled is going to be uh, at a much greater uh, opportunity level. For the nonprofit, uh, we're we're very familiar with uh, stakeholders and not so much shareholders. The fact that 
we often don't have shareholders really allows us to be maneuverable, to be portable in the community, and to be based in the community. Um, I think where we've been grounded in residential services for a long time, I think you're beginning to see the breakout between the housing component and the service component. Uh, they can be coupled and, and done in an integrated manner, uh, or there can be partnerships in which one group handles the housing and another handles the services. I think the real advantage for nonprofit organizations, because they have been so close to the community, is the effective delivery of those services right down into the grassroots of communities. I think that's a real advantage of nonprofit organizations. I think it's one that, uh, as Karen was saying before, we need to be able to articulate more effectively to be able to mm-hmm. uh, market those strengths. Uh, they're there. It's inherent in the uh, nonprofit uh, culture, and uh, and I think it's a huge opportunity for us. Yes. Ms. Dale, what, what do you see as some of the opportunities that are available uh, from the nonprofit perspective going forward as a result of health care reform and this integrated service delivery concept? Well, I'll, I'll probably repeat myself a bit, but it's the experience. And so... Um, and I always feel like you, I put a real face on, on an example. It helps. So right now, one of our struggles is that we often have persons with a behavioral health issue, a chronic condition or multiple chronic conditions, and they are homeless. And there is a recurring cost to the system when their housing is unstable. So it's very hard to discharge someone who's insulin-dependent diabetic with a lot of behavioral health conditions when they have no home. It creates an issue for the hospitals, right, because that is not the best place for someone to be when they are ready to be discharged. Um, And it creates an issue for me because that's not where I want someone who doesn't need to be there. But if they don't have a place to go, that's a problem. And someone with both of those conditions, those co-occurring conditions, also is going to need supportive housing which means helping them make sure they did take their medications, the care coordination around, keeping their appointments, those kinds of things. And so that ability to cover a spectrum of services that helps someone to stay well and out of the hospitals is really important to the delivery system and the integration and communication that needs to occur to keep things coordinated is really a great space for the not-for-profits. Um, we're going to need to begin to wrap up, and I wanted to, if I could, ask each of our guests really just very quickly, if you had to select one piece of information that we've really talked about during this past hour that you think is really critical for non-for-profit leaders to hear, what would it be? And I'll start with you, uh, Ms. Bauer. What do you think it would be? What would your piece of advice be? I would say looking at the integration and whole person care approach for people. Okay, great. Uh, Mr. Beerbaum. Well, I would say the biggest challenge for a nonprofit organization is how do you gain access to capital? Uh, It takes resources to put uh, an infrastructure together, an infrastructure that has complex data systems um, and, and, to build the confidence of taking risk, which I believe we're moving into an era in which you must take risk, uh, having capital behind you uh, 
makes that risk a lot more palatable. Capital and risk, very good. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.